Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. The pandemic unemployment assistance program, the expanded eligibility for people, say, in the gig economy or, or with varying work histories, is extremely important and I think really points towards where unemployment insurance should go. I'm your host, Alan Weil. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, Congress passed the bipartisan Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, most of us know it as CARES, in March of 2020. Among the law's many provisions was an expansion of unemployment benefits, both the amount and the duration. Now, the federal benefits only lasted for a few months, which created a unique opportunity to study the effects of those benefits because they came and then they went. And what those effects are is the subject of our discussion today. On today's episode of A Health Policy, I'm joined by Dr. Seth Berkowitz, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Dr. Berkowitz and co-author Dr. Sanjay Basu published a study in the February 2021 issue of Health Affairs. They explored the unmet health-related social needs of those who are affected by this change in unemployment benefits. Their findings are important and will set the stage for future policy discussions about how to respond to the COVID epidemic. Dr. Berkowitz, welcome to the program. Great. Thanks so much. I really appreciate uh, being able to be involved. Happy to have you with us today. So let's start with unemployment benefits and the CARES Act. Give us a sense of what policies were in place, what were changed, what went away. It's kind of a complicated picture. Uh, so why don't you get us started? It is. It's very complicated. And uh, it definitely took um, me some time to, to try to get a handle on it when we were starting to study these issues. Um, I think it helps to think about um, what unemployment insurance looked like um, before the pandemic and then what the CARES Act did. So um, before the pandemic, people usually had the people had a state-based unemployment um, insurance applied to particular jobs where you had to have a set earning history, you had to have been in those jobs for a set period of time, states would set the levels and states would set how long you can get the benefits um, for. It's run as a federal-state partnership where the federal government provides some kind of minimal backstopping, but uh, but really in a day-to-day sense is run, run at the state level. The CARES Act had three um, main components with relation to unemployment insurance that uh, were really helpful. The names are all kind of, you know, they use the same terms in different combinations. It's a little bit confusing. Um, But one of the components was the uh, Pandemic Emergency Unemployment Compensation Program, which extended the maximum duration of benefits so people could get benefits for up to 13 weeks beyond what their, uh, their usual state cutoff would be. They also had the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which provided benefits to people with jobs that might not have otherwise been covered um, by this uh, regular state unemployment program. So people who work, say, in the gig economy um, or very low income workers or things like that. And then finally, the focus of this paper um, is the Federal Pandemic Unemployment Compensation Program, or FPUC, which added $600 a month on top of whatever people's normal benefits um, from the state level programs would be. So whatever that level was, you just got a flat $600 per week on top of that. And just to be clear, there's a long history of the federal government stepping in during recessions to bolster the unemployment 
insurance program because, as you say, it's state-based and state revenues drop when the economy goes south. But those historically have really been focused on, if I remember right, the first of those three. They extend the duration. But I, I don't think I've ever seen the federal government either say, oh, here's a whole new category of people who are eligible or say, here's a whole bunch of new money on top of the state benefit. Is that, am I right on that? Yeah, so that, you're absolutely right that, that basically in each recession since at least the 1950s, the, the federal government has stepped in and expanded the duration. I think the, the expanded eligibility is fairly new. If I recall correctly, I'm not an expert, there was a, a small top off um, during the uh, Great Recession, um, you know, around 2008-ish or so, but it, it may have been on the order of like 25 or $50 a week, no, nothing of the scale that the federal pandemic unemployment compensation program had here. So this was really a historically um, uh, very generous um, program with, with the FPUC, the $600, and a historic expansion in eligibility with, uh, with the PUA program. So you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, I do have some vague recollection of a, a small top off. But basically, the typical federal role is to extend. And here we did, uh, federal government uh, jumped in and did a whole lot more. Okay, so I interrupted you. No, you no. said your focus here is on the third of those features. So say a little bit more about that. One. That's right. Yeah. So the, the way that these programs got passed was um, somewhat interesting. So they all passed as part of the same CARES Act, um, you know, passed at the end of March 2020. The, the first two programs, the extended eligibility, the extended duration and the expanded eligibility um, were initially as part of the, the way they were initially passed, went through basically the end of 2020. FPUC, though, ended in July um, 2020. So that created a situation where out of this sort of multi-component um, approach to unemployment insurance relief, you had one of the programs that ended um, when the others continued. And it um, so that presents sort of an opportunity to study it. And as you mentioned, since this is really a, a historically pretty unprecedented level of generosity, it, it seemed like a very important thing to study um, because the you know many of the concerns about unemployment insurance programs even before the pandemic was that the replacement rates, the amount that are actually replaced for people are fairly low and may not be sufficient to pe meet people's needs. This responded to that type of concern very directly. And so it seemed like a, a very policy relevant question, not only for what's going on in the pandemic, which of course is very important, but also about unemployment insurance policy overall. Yeah. So let's just uh, pause there because again, I, I'm not sure our health focused audience uh, are, uh, <laughs> has a lot of experience with unemployment benefits. So the way the program works is you get a portion of your earnings replaced for a limited duration. And uh, what the federal uh, intervention here did was, as we've already talked about, both the duration and the level. And that extra money meant that, particularly for the lowest wage workers, the replacement rate was quite high, whereas traditionally, one of the things employers have pushed for is to keep the replacement rate low enough that it gives people an incentive to go back to work. We don't need to get too deep into that, but is that about the right way to think about this? Yeah, no, that, that that's exactly right. And I think I think you hit on two key elements there. One, which is that the the overall replacement rate is often fairly low for people, uh, sometimes well under fifty percent of what of what they were earning, depending on their wage levels. But also the that with the six hundred dollar a month, uh, six hundred dollar per week top off, people were receiving uh, much more than they would historically, and in some cases even more than than they had been earning while working. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the program side. Let's go to the other side of your analysis here. 
which is looking at social needs, particularly related to health and mental health. So take us through a tour of what kinds of conditions were you focusing on to see whether or not they were affected by the federal law? Right. So um, so we looked at two, what, what we call in the paper, health-related social needs and two um, mental health outcomes. The two health-related social needs we looked at were um, one element of what we think of as housing instability. In this case, it was operationalized as uh, what we call missing a housing payment. That could either be your rent if you're a renter or your mortgage payment if you're um, someone who uh, is in a home that you own but you're paying a mortgage on. Um, and then the other was a, a concept related to food hardship called food insufficiency. This is similar to, although not assessed in exactly the same way as the concept of food insecurity, which may be more familiar to um, the audience overall, but are, again, is sort of a similar uh, idea around food hardship, i.e. that you can't afford um, uh, the amount of food that, that you need, or you're at least worried that, that you may not be able to afford the amount of uh, food that you need. And so that may affect um, some of your um, behavior around food purchasing or nutrition and things like that. And on the mental health side, we, we looked at two um, validated screeners for common mental health symptoms. There's a, a, a screener for depressive symptoms called the PHQ-2 that looks at two uh, items related to depressive symptoms and one called the GAD-2 uh, related to anxiety symptoms. So we, we looked at whether those were above a cut point that previous studies have found to be clinically meaningful. So overall looked at whether people could um, make their housing payment, buy enough food for their family, whether they were very anxious or whether they're experiencing depressive symptoms. Okay, so uh, drum roll, please. <laughs> we have policy intervention, we have outcomes of interest. What'd you find? So I think we found a couple of things that are, that are worth highlighting. Um, one is that um, in this, sam this uh, you know, sample that we looked at, people who reported having been, uh, had their income affected by, by the pandemic, they had lost work, they had not yet restored the income um, that they had before the pandemic, we found fairly high rates of these needs overall. So about one in four people reported uh, missing a housing payment, about one in four people reported food insufficiency, almost 40, a little, actually a little over 40%, um, reported depressive symptoms above this clinically meaningful threshold and about half reported anxiety symptoms. So this is a, a group that I think is, is badly affected by the pandemic. We found that those who uh, reported receiving unemployment insurance benefits overall um, were doing better than those who were not. So they had lower rates of all these outcomes. Uh, but we also unfortunately found that after the expiration of the federal pandemic unemployment compensation, after the $600 a week went away, that the difference between those who, who did and didn't have unemployment insurance narrowed. In other words, it seemed like unemployment insurance was more effective during the period when uh, the FPUC was active, and it became less effective when that $600 a, a week went away. Okay. Well, you've given us uh, the first layer of findings. It's probably a good place for us to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dig into those a little deeper. Before hitting the floors of Congress, health policy begins in the pages of health affairs. Stay up to date with the latest research and insights by subscribing to the leading health policy journal. Subscribers have exclusive access to health affairs research ahead of print articles and resource pages. Subscribe today by visiting our website at www.healthaffairs.org.
And we're back. I'm speaking to Dr. Seth Berkowitz about the effects of the CARES Act passed by Congress in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic and how it affected people's unmet social needs and their mental health. When we went to the break, you started by saying that one of the key findings was just the high level of need and the high level of uh, mental health strains. Uh, just remind us, who are you talking about here? Because that's not, that's not a result of the program. That's the population that you studied as a whole. So uh, focus us in, when you say a quarter of people were facing those hardships, a quarter of who? That's right. Yeah. So what we tried to focus on is people who reported um, having uh, job loss or loss of income due to the pandemic who had not yet had their income restored by the time they completed the, the survey uh, that we took data from this, this study for. That's the Census Bureau's Household Pulse Survey. So these, these were basically people that we conceptualized as um, people who had lost their job, lost income due to the pandemic, and and it hadn't gotten better again. They hadn't they hadn't found a similar job. They hadn't gone back to their same job. So basically, what you're saying is that among those directly affected in employment by the pandemic, high rates of hardship, high rates of mental health strain. Yes, definitely. Okay. Um, and then let's talk about the effects of the program. You said uh, those who received the benefits uh, did better, uh, which is, of course, what we would hope for. Um, go a little deeper in what that means for uh, how how much better they were doing and what, what you think uh, the implications of that are. Sure. And I'll say an important caveat to all this work is, um, you know, the Household Pulse survey was designed to assess a number of things. Um, you know, it may not have been exactly designed for this this question. And so we, we do always have some, you know, caveats around, well, how, how, when we're comparing these, the populations, those who do and don't receive unemployment insurance, um, you know, how comparable are those? And so I, I think when we talk about those in detail in the paper, and, and I think those are very reasonable things, but overall, you know, it, it looks like people who, in this group of people who um, were uh, affected by the pandemic in terms of an income loss. If you received unemployment insurance and even after adjusting for demographic and past income and other characteristics that, that we could adjust for, if you received unemployment insurance, you were about 10 percentage points less likely to miss a housing payment. You were about five percentage points less likely to report food insufficiency. And you were around the same amount, three to four percentage points less likely to report these clinically significant depressive or anxiety symptoms. So at the population level, that, that's a fairly um, large difference between these groups, even after adjusting for the demographic characteristics um, uh, that do differ between those who do and don't receive unemployment insurance benefits. So at, at a basic level, you'd say if people have a little more money, they're less likely to have the kind of hardship you're measuring. Um, you've done work not just on unemployment benefits, but broader examination of the safety net. Can you put some of these findings in the context of work you've done around income security, around food security as well? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So a lot of my research interest is really around how things like un, unmet health related social needs like food insecurity or sort of more broadly how um, insecure and sufficient income 
are related to poor health and what we can do to improve health for people who experience this. And I think this this kind of puts unemployment insurance um, up among those programs that uh, are starting to have some evidence that, that they may be beneficial for this. Other ones that, that I put in that category are SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, um, EITC, the Earned Income Tax Credit, things of that nature that are, that are really designed to um, support people through difficult times. I think unemployment insurance is a really interesting example because it's essentially, unlike some of the, the other programs, it's an example of what you might call uh, social insurance, meaning that people pay into it um, during times when they're working and can draw down um, from those benefits during tough times. It may not be actuarial in the sense that people may not put in exactly the same amount that they draw out, as you mentioned, when, when we're in pandemics and a lot of people need to draw on these benefits um, at the same time, or just in a, in a recession more generally, even if not in a pandemic that caused a recession, um, the federal government may step in and, and add extra benefits. But it overall is an approach um, to providing a safety net based on this sort of insurance principle. And, and I think what we're seeing here is, is that kind of thing can work really well for, for health benefits. Now, there, in the public debate and in the current debate about another round of stimulus, there's a lot of discussion of sending checks to families uh, at levels that are pretty significant. Um, do you have any sense from the work you've done, sort of how do you think about the relative merits of something you just described as a social insurance program tied to employment, checks really designed to get money in the hands of everyone at low income? How, how do you think about the likely difference between those two from the perspective of health and social needs? Yeah, I, I think these are really complementary programs. And so um, I, I think some of the discussion talks about, should we do one or the other? Should we trade off lower check amounts for more unemployment insurance benefits or vice versa? And and I think that misses the mark a little bit. I, I really think they're complementary programs for, for this reason. One, I think you can think of the checks, um, which even though they went out the first time with a, an income cap at, I think, 75,000, um, that still reached a, a pretty broad section of the American population. I want to say um, there's something around 80, I've seen estimates around 80% or maybe even slightly more percent of households got a check. So so it was, you know, maybe not fully universal, but it's pretty close to, to reaching everybody um, in the U.S. Uh, but it was a flat rate. It wasn't based on earnings history. It wasn't based on what your, your previous needs were or anything, uh, you know, what you previously were making or anything like that. Unemployment insurance, um, in contrast, is uh, to some extent based on what you were previously making, although the, the top off was flat, but the state level benefit um, is based on that. And it's kind of specifically targeted to people who lost their jobs or they're unemployed. And so I, I see these as really being complementary um, features. One, the checks reach people that unemployment insurance cannot. We know that through um, uh, eligibility criteria, through backlogs in, in processing at the state level system, through maybe even just people not knowing they're eligible and not applying, that many people who did lose income during the pandemic um, may not have received unemployment insurance benefits. I've seen estimates that maybe only um, a quarter to a third of people may have actually received um, these uh, these benefits, even when they even when they received unemployment insurance benefits, even when they lost income. Um, so the, the checks reach people who aren't reached by that. They reach people in deep poverty who may not have been working beforehand and thus didn't have a, a job to lose. Um, and uh, and so I think they just meet different needs in different ways and overall form sort of an overlapping way to buffer people in the course of the pandemic. Now, you mentioned, of course, that this you focused on the feature that went into place and then was uh, it, it came to an end, but there are other elements that are still in place. Presumably at some point, 
they'll come to an end as well. So what are the questions you have in mind with respect to those other features? Yeah, I think that's a very important point. And so, you know, the, the federal pandemic unemployment and uh, compensation program ended at the end of July. There was this sort of temporary thing called lost wages assistance that maybe gave a few more weeks, although it was sort of sporadically enacted. And then um, fortunately, at the end of 2020, FPUC came back at a lower benefit rate, $300 uh, per week. Um, that goes through March of this year. And then obviously any, any further expansions uh, or extensions of that are uh, under debate. The other two elements, the extended duration and, and the pandemic unemployment assistance, the expanded eligibility were sort of continuously operative, but, but may end as well. But I think taken together, these three things um, do uh, point towards where where future reforms may go. And in fact, these, these are consistent with what past panels that had made recommendations about unemployment insurance reform had recommended even, even pre-pandemic and not even considering that, that there might be a pandemic like this. I think the pandemic unemployment assistance program, the expanded eligibility for people, say, in the gig economy or, or with varying work histories is extremely important. And I think really points towards where unemployment insurance should go. I think the nature of work in the U.S. is changing. You know, it's not that everybody has a, you know, unionized manufacturing job, which was never really the case, but was sort of, you know, a model that, that some people had in mind where you might stay with this, you know, good job with good benefits for, for your whole career. Um, you know, that was never the case, but it but is even less the case now. And so being able to ex expand some of the benefits to um, people in in jobs, say, in the gig economy, I think is really important. I think the expanded duration um, is very important. You know, for many states, you may only get nine or 12 weeks of benefits. And so that may not be enough time to, to find a new job. And there's some evidence that people taking more time to, to find a new job actually results in what's called a better match, meaning that the job that people find is when they stay in longer, it's a better fit to their skill level, et cetera. So, um, so being able to take a little more time, I think, is useful. And I think, you know, what we've seen around the benefit level is, frankly, that the, the uh, replacement rate for many uh, unemployment insurance programs pre-pandemic was, was just too low. It was not enough for people to, to meet their needs and support them during this difficult time. And I think if people are paying into a program during the good times, that, that when they do fall on hard times, they, they should be able to draw on a benefit level that, that's sufficient for them. And I think we have good evidence now that, you know, that's not money that's just going to be, you know, wasted, so to speak, or, or spent. Um, in, in ways that don't help people, that, that it's really money that, that can help uh, meet people's needs in a way that uh, is, is beneficial for them and, and beneficial for society overall. Well, before I let you go, um, you know, there's a long uh, tradition of labor economists studying the employment effects, the income effects of these programs. But as you noted, you're interested in the relationship between them and health and uh, health meeting healthcare needs. Just tell me a little uh, how you got interested in this as a topic for your uh, research? Sure. So, I mean, my research really, I think, was rooted in my experience as a, as a primary care doctor. I'm a, a practicing primary care doctor still. I've, I've practiced in um, safety net settings in many instances, and even when not in sort of formally safety net settings, um, you know, I think just the nature of uh, income inequality in the U.S. is that you're, you're likely to run across people who have had their health impacted by low income. And so it just got me interested in the idea of what we can do to, to improve health um, for people who are um, experiencing low income. 
Um, as you said before, you know, a lot of my um, previous work has been in the area of food insecurity and in programs like SNAP and, and things like that, um, which I think are really important. And um, in this case, in the, in the pandemic, with such a rapid rise in the number of people who are accessing benefits through the unemployment insurance program, it seemed like a really um, important area to uh, to look at since it, it wound up having a, a big role in what our pandemic um, relief strategy was. I think there's sort of a myth that the U.S. pandemic economic relief strategy was um, inferior to, to those of many other countries. And I certainly think there are things about it that could have been improved. But I think when taken together, when you consider the checks, when you consider um, the various unemployment insurance reforms, when you consider some of the work on eviction moratoria and other things like that, um, our response was actually pretty good. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn from here, both in terms of what we might do better next time, which of course there is, but also in terms of what went well that we can use to build a stronger um, safety net or, or sort of a stronger system of social benefits for people in the U.S. overall. Well, it's great to get that perspective and to tie uh, these two critical policy areas, income support and healthcare, together. Uh, Dr. Berkowitz, thanks for taking some time with me today and for writing this really interesting paper that we were so happy to publish. It's been a pleasure having you on A Health Policy. Thanks so much. I've really enjoyed being on. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about A Health Policy. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Policy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening. <laughs>